she would not let a note sit in the till. She'd whip a note out of the till and pin it to her singlet. And as kids, we used to think, why was she doing that? But I suppose when you come through a depression and the war and she was nervous about, you know, having money in the till and, and then of course they traded after hours. So the police would come after six o'clock if they were trading. Um, and, you know, my grandmother used to pay them off. You're listening to Hall of Fame publican Karen Malesi. You, you know, I would have had to have been doing when I was um, back at customs 100 hours a week. I never went out, never went outside the door of the hotel hardly, apart from walking up to the bank. But at Murray Bridge, well, I had went there with a nine-month-old baby, Josh, and then 12 months later had Nick. For a young couple with two small children embarking on major renovations, this was a very different world compared to the nine to five of most people's lives. Uh, trade, you know, we trade, we're open from eight in the morning till two in the morning. So 18 hours a day, seven days a week. And, um, you know, for me, it's, I don't know, I just live and breathe it. Later in this interview, you'll hear about the award-winning TV series whose characters bear an uncanny resemblance to Karen's ancestors. How her great-grandmother got Saturday trading booming by enlisting the help of some local delinquents. And we'll find out why Karen, wearing rubber gloves, spent 18 hours non-stop changing bedsheets when hordes of US sailors descended on her pub. Karen also speaks about women in hotels, joining the AHA Council and what the future holds for women making a career in today's hotels. In 2021, Karen Malesi was inducted into South Australia's Women in Hotels Hall of Fame. She is the highly respected owner-operator of the Murray Bridge Hotel. She serves on the AHA Council, helping set policy and direction for hotels across the state. And she also sits on the Women in Hotels Committee. In the 100th year of the AHA, Karen has kindly agreed to talk about some of the history of women in hotels. Karen, I get the feeling that pubs are something of a genetic inheritance for you. You're a fourth-generation publican. Yes, that is correct, Tim. I am. Uh, my family history is very strongly connected with women. Uh, my great-grandmother migrated from Ireland uh, and purchased a hotel in Melbourne um, called the Retreat Hotel, which is very famous for the Sullivan series. And uh, she owned that hotel for many years and, in fact, built that ho- the second story on that hotel and put a very attractive turret on the top of that, okay. giving it quite some architectural uh, merit, uh, which was, you know, and that uh, hotel is famous, as I say, for the Sullivan series, um, which is an interesting story in, even in itself because that series um, portrays the lady publican there, Maggie, uh, with her full-time barman trading through the era of the Second World War, which my grandmother was uh, May 
and she also had a full-time barman, Jack, so uh, we do wonder whether they use parts of that our family history for that story. No one can officially put their hand up and say they were approached by Crawford Productions, yes. but we certainly um, can relate to that show very strongly through my great-grandmother and grandmother, uh, and then my mother did inherit that hotel uh, uh, but sadly, it was sold out of the family some years ago. So um, that's that's quite amazing that that they would. Um, um, uh, so your great grandmother owned it in her own right. It wasn't in her husband's name, or that is correct, as far as I know. Uh, we're not entirely sure. It n- there's never really any reference to. Uh, him. It's always about my grandmother, um, how she, uh, my grandfather actually inherited that um, after she passed away. Uh, It never refers to uh, my great-grandfather. It is always my great-grandmother. So there's a bit of mystery there uh, as to uh, you know, but as far as we know from my mother's recollection most definitely it was her Yes, yes. And what are some of the stories that you've heard about your your forebears in, in hotels? Well, certainly she, uh, my great-grandmother, uh, was loved real estate, so she purchased um, some of the houses around the hotel as well and was sort of the, the lady landlord mm-hmm. of the day. Yes. Uh, and did have some interesting families that lived in those houses as her tenants. Uh, and again, you know, my grandmother, um, my grandfather probably was a bit of a quiet sort of a soul. So when he married later in life, after he'd come home from the war, he married a quite a strong woman uh, who stepped into kind of his own mother's shoes and he stepped a little bit back from the hotel. So my grandmother um, was a very strong, respected and well-liked, glamorous uh, publican of the Retreat Hotel. Mm. Mm. Did you – so did that have an influence on you? What's the the Karen Malesi story of of, um, leading into – owner-operator of the Murray Bridge Hotel? Uh, Well, my story starts... uh, I mean, as a kid growing up, I used to go down to the retreat with my uh, mum. Um, My mum worked there until she was married, but my father was a career policeman, so his job uh, didn't allow him to have anything to do with a a liquor licence. So mum would go down there at night and clean for my grandmother... I would go as with her and I just absolutely, you know, the, the feel of the place was great. I mm. mean, as a kid growing up, going there, it was lovely. My grandmother, you know, she was a great person and had a very interesting customer base and uh, was quite um, um, very good at what she did. You know, she could mix in any circles. Yes. Um, you know, Abbotsford was uh, boarded Collingwood, so... Um, but um, a lot of her customer base were factories. That area around Melbourne was inundated with factories back in those yeah. days. So a lot of, not a lot of money around after the war. 
Um, she was a very generous sort of a person. So uh, a lot of the factory workers, the men would come in and uh, to the bar for and you know scoff off as many beers as they could get, and yes. she would spend time at night after she'd closed making food and then she would just give it to them over lunch so that uh, they had something to eat and because they didn't actually uh, have a meal trade. They just – alcohol. It was only about beer and grog and yes. a bit of SP booking and, um, yeah, so they – So a bit of SP booking. Mm. Tell me how that came about. Well – my mother's, my grandmother's brothers, a couple of them were SP bookmakers. So my grandmother had decided Saturdays were a pretty quiet trading day outside of the footy season. Um, so she got her brothers to um, train up a couple of ruffians, I think you'd describe them as, <laughs> who lived in one of, they were tenants of one of my, the houses, and uh, which co-joined the hotel uh, through a laneway to the, to the outside toilets and so these ruffians who we affectionately call ruffians because they were actually the almost the protectors of my grandmother because mm. she required often a bit of heavy-handed uh, handedness and she looked to this family of sons who considered the retreat to be their ground and don't you know, no one treads on their territory. Yes. So occasionally you'd get someone who'd come in and think they were going to, you know, take over their territory. And these lads were p fantastically protective of my grandmother uh, because she didn't have any sons of her own, just two daughters. So uh, SP bookmaking. So on the sly, these boys would remove a couple of bricks from the house next door that went through to the laneway so people got to know that if you went down towards the toilets there's a bit of a hole in the wall there with a couple of bricks removed you could put an SP book you know there'd yeah. be someone there taking a sly book for you so uh, that was one of her little entrepreneurial moves to increase her business on a Saturday uh, and plus she was very generous um, in that you know she gave a lot of the factory workers the men meals and yes. Yeah, mm. and it also I think, um, you know, a lot of, you know, there was the women's parlour. So women obviously weren't allowed to go into the front bar. And some of the women, though, there was a lady up the street who her son had gone off to the war, her husband had died, and um, she didn't want to come to the hotel and sit in the hotel and drink. So my grandmother had just, she'd bring her own container down and my grandmother had, you know, fill her up with something and she'd take it home but everything was about coupons back in those yes, days because yes. everything was rationed mm. and uh, she'd have to negotiate with the brewery if uh, what her quota would be um, which was always interesting she was always trying to increase her quota because uh, business was pretty good for her um, but the brewery pretty much dictated what you got Karen, this is at a time when um, um, I guess with, you know, war years you, you saw more women come into the workforce. Um, but generally through that period of decades, um, um, women were not expected and, and they were actually suppressed in, in, you know, owning businesses, etc. So you, you, you're 
grandmother was a pretty amazing lady to 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 do all of this and to be um, you know in a man's world. Yes. Yeah, absolutely, definitely. And very strong character, I might add. Um, and I'm always amazed and can re- very much recall she would not let a note sit in the till. She'd whip a note out of the till and pin it to her singlet. And <laughs> as kids, we used to think, well, why was she doing that? But I suppose when you come through a depression and the war and she was nervous about, you know, having money in the till. And, yes. and then, of course, they traded after hours. So the police would come after six o'clock if they were trading. Um, and, you know, my grandmother used to pay them off, basically, yeah. is my mum's recollection. She, mm. They'd give them uh, grog to... Uh, turn a blind eye or, you know, they'd march in and go, oh, you're trading. She goes, no, we're not. And, you know, open the till and let's see if there's any money in there. Oh, there's no money in there. And, you know, no one would dare and ask for her to retrieve it from her singlet. Yes. So <laughs> pinned to her singlet. But um, those, yeah, I think she was quite a bolshy yeah. woman. She had to, uh, you know, negotiate. Well, I don't think she needed to negotiate necessarily with the bank, but the banks were very much well, we want to speak to the man of the house. Mm. And uh, she said, well, you're talking to her. Well, many years later, you had the same experience with the bank. So perhaps, yeah. perhaps yes, perhaps you can tell your story. Well, yeah, well, I, I was, um, yeah, a very similar sort of um, um, situation where I felt um, the fact that I was a female impacted on it my application to the bank when I was going to I was going into business with my two brothers in Tassie but I was living in Darwin at the time working uh, for the Racing Gaming and Liquor Commission and uh, my brothers invited me to join them and buy a hotel in Hobart on the waterfront in Hobart and so I went to my bank manager I'd been banking with that particular bank which will remain nameless since I was 18 and at the time I was 29 or 30 and um Yep, sat down with the bank manager. Sure, no worries. Went through the whole process uh, of the application Mm -hmm. and uh, that was all very exciting. Then he rang me up, come in to – or he got someone to ring me and say, come in, the paperwork's ready, come in. So I've gone in there, sat in his office and then he says to me, oh, we've rethought that and we're not going to approve the loan. Now – I just remember looking at this guy thinking, what are you talking about? And he wouldn't really couldn't explain mm. why, just that, oh, we think the, right loan, the, the loan is wrong. And I just put it down to, I was, a, I was single, I had a great job. Yes. But I was, and I owned property in Darwin, but I was just a single female going off to buy a hotel in Hobart. And I think they just thought, no, too risky. And I was actually saved by, a, you know, a great friend of mine who, who was in business. He was an engineer. And I, I remember going home and he came around and I was just in tears saying, I can't believe, how am I going to explain that to my brothers mm. that I've committed to this, you know, this is my contribution uh, and that's just put, pulled from me, under me. And I uh, always said, just leave it with me for a moment. All it required was a phone call from him a male to the male bank manager 
to say, you know, just, you know, she's a, she, she's a shoo-in. Yeah. You're crazy not to do it. And, of course, they uh, rang back and said, oh, we'll actually come back in. We've rethought it. So <laughs> times have changed in that regard? Uh, oh, I think so. Yeah. Very much so, yes. So you, I guess you packed up the car or jumped on a plane. And, yep. and so tell me about this first Yeah, pub. so I went to, uh, which is the Customs House Hotel, Sits very proudly on the waterfront in Hobart. When I was telling uh, people I was moving to to uh, Hobart, to I'd bought a hotel and was going to live on the waterfront, they'd be, oh, my God, really? How safe is that going to be? Yes. I said, Hobart's got the safest waterfront in the world. And we were buying it from a lady who, um, you know, she would have been 60 my age now, you know, I just think. And uh, I remember when she was leaving, she was walking out with her case and I was walking in with mine. Mm. She said, you are going to love living here. And that was absolutely true. That was just an amazing uh, purchase. She as it was retiring and had let that business sort of slide quite significantly and all it required was uh, us, my one of my brothers and I, we got in there just flung the doors open, injected a bit of wit, charm and personality and it just uh, went on in leaps and bounds. It was brilliant. Mm. And you were doing it all? Absolutely all. Absolutely. Yes, absolutely loved it. You know, I, I lived there on my own, um, which was, you know, three storeys, you know, reasonably significant size uh, place. We did accommodation. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the probably the less and more attractive parts of my work daily routine there is if you had a customer who, you know, it was the old-fashioned, let the key in, you'd get a key to get in the door. Yes. And if someone uh, was too drunk to get in the door, they could ring a doorbell, which would come up to me. And then I'd have to come down three flights in my dressing gown at four in the morning or three in the morning and let them in uh, and then let them into their room. And, you know, I just never even thought twice about that. It mm. was always be a bloke, mm. you know, be drunk as a skunk and you'd just, you know, you'd have to half carry them up the stairs <laughs> and, you know, let them in their room and never, ever, never occurred to me that, that was, there was anything wrong with doing that. Or, you know, often I'd be there at night on my own. Um, mm-hmm. The police used to come. They used to – they had a shift that knocked off at midnight and we'd probably potentially close at 10 o'clock at night and then I'd just wait for two hours and then let them in. So, you know, at the end of their run of nights, you'd get a dozen of them come in and then, uh, you know, for their knock-offs between 12 and 2, which was always a bit of fun. Yes, yes. Um, and you had um, um, Wharfies? Plenty of those. Yeah, yeah. yeah, plenty of those. Well, the Aurora Australis, some of our good customers were the Aurora Australis, which was is now retired, but mm. was the Antarctic icebreaker. So we had a very interesting customer base there. You'd get all the guys that worked on the boat. You would get all the uh, people who were coming to Hobart to go down south to yeah. Antarctica on that boat. Mm. Uh, which made for an interesting – we would often get uh, rung – I remember answering the phone one day and this very official voice says, I'm ringing from the uh, um, Prime Minister of New Zealand's office and we're inquiring as to whether there are any um, uh, Greenpeace boats getting around the, wa- the, the waterfront in Hobart. Um, you know, you, we'd get uh, – uh, 
you know, a lot of um, – you just, just get to get a very eclectic yeah. sort of um, customer base down there. Mm. Yeah, well, I'm told that within that eclectic customer base, you, you had a special pair of rubber gloves <laughs> to, um, to, to for your daily housekeeping. Or maybe yes. it was hourly housekeeping. What was that all about? <laughs> well, after, at, at the, in the Gulf War, uh, the American warships came back around Tasmania mm. to go home after the Gulf War. So... The Carl Vinson, which was the nuclear warhead carrying um, ship for uh, American warship, mm. uh, which had a personnel of three thousand people on it, was not able to come up um, the Derwent. It had to stay a couple of k's out. So they had Liberty boats that would come up yes. and bring everyone. And the pecking order for that was the captain came. Uh, you know, on the first boat and, and it just went down to where the lowest ranking sailor. So that could take 12 hours to get, you know, all the personnel off the boat in shifts mm-hmm. and we were right at that front door. Sullivan's Cove was where the Liberty boat stopped and they got off the boat, they looked up and there was our front door. So what was interesting at that time, they were carrying nuclear warheads and another weapon of mass destruction when that boat was pulling in up the river were the planes flying in with prostitutes. <laughs> so they'd come into Hobart. The sailors would, you know, come up to the pub and they'd be saying, oh, what's your... Um, and you could tell they were sort of looking for a rate mm. and they'd say, what's your hourly... I said, oh, no, no, sorry, no, mate. We just we only do a nightly rate, family hotel nightly rate, which back in the day was $35. Yeah. And they'd say, oh, but we only need the room for... Oh, don't, no, I'm sorry, mate. You know, it's, it's a nightly rate, yeah. you know. So every time this happened, which would be about an hour maybe, 45 minutes sometimes, even less, I <laughs> uh, only had 13 rooms and I don't reckon I took a pair of rubber gloves off for about 18 hours. <laughs> it was just changing bed after bed after bed from the changing uh, customer base that was coming in. But uh, the interesting thing was the look on the face of some of the girls when they'd come in with a different sailor and uh, I'd be pretending I'd never seen them before, but I might have only seen them an hour ago and it yes. was, yeah, yeah, which always left me wondering. But. Yeah. So how did you come to South Australia? Uh so in our business, uh, the, yeah, my family business, uh, well, my two brothers and I, we decided to um, expand our business because we originally, our knowledge in the hotel industry was from Melbourne, Victoria. Mm. And we, uh, my brothers, when they started looking, uh, they looked outside of Victoria because of the deregulation of um, liquor licensing in the 70s and they were looking in the 80s. Uh, that's what took them to Tassie. Uh, and then we, I joined them and then we started looking again um, back into South Australia. Yes. Um, because of the introduction of gaming, mm. the resurgence of hotels. Um, so we decided let's have a look and Murray Bridge Hotel came, on, uh, came up. Uh, uh, Peter Hurley actually uh, put us on to that. He was never probably going to put us on to a hotel in Adelaide because he was buying them all himself. But <laughs> we uh, had a look at the Murray Bridge Hotel and uh, then my husband and I decided we would come over and uh, run that. Mm. Or, you know, it needed a lot of work done to it. And so we bought that 
um, and decided to give it a crack and we came on a five-year plan and here I am 25 years later and of course sadly my husband died seven years ago but uh, um, yeah we just that business took off people you know in the town were very good to us accepted us and it's been great and um, how um, how hands-on were you because I know that you 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 pride yourself on your work ethic uh, again did it change were you were you doing everything at the Murray Bridge Hotel absolutely everything from dawn till was even later probably Murray Bridge Hotel traded later than Customs House Hotel um, you know you, you just you, you would never add up the hours but you you know I would have had to have been doing when I was um, back at customs 100 hours a week I never went out never went outside the door of the hotel hardly mm. apart from walking up to the bank but and Murray Bridge well I had went there with a nine-month-old baby Josh and then 12 months later had Nick um, my parents moved to Murray Bridge and lived in the hotel with us for the first four years to see us through uh, the first 12 months were just trading and pl pl plotting and planning a significant uh, renovation mm. and then carrying out that renovation and then um, uh, trade. You know, we trade. We're open from 8 in the morning till 2 in the morning. So 18 hours a day, seven days a week. Yes. And, um, you know, for me, it's, I don't know, I just live and breathe it. I yeah. could, uh, yeah. I remember... Um, we lived upstairs at the very end of the building. You'd, you'd never think you would be able to hear anything going on in the bar. But I remember one morning um, my office girl was trying to open up the till to, to put the tills in. Yes. And the till would beep because she couldn't get the drawer open. Anyway, I've rung down. I could hear that upstairs. Mm. And I rang her and, <clears throat> pardon me, and I said, um, Di, you just... Flick it from behind. Put your hand at the back of the till and open it. She goes, "How do you know what I'm doing?" I said, "I can hear. I can actually hear it. You so you can be so sensitive to, you know, the the building. Yes. Um, any movement of the building. If the door opened when we were closed downstairs, you're like I sense that door has opened. But mm. yeah, it was just yeah. I mean, you you um, so in Murray Bridge, I guess you're. You know, for a regional publican, you are somewhat isolated compared to your metropolitan peers, um, and 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 being a female publican. So, you know, I guess what I want to ask is, um, you know, how did women in hotels come about? What was the need, and and why did you get involved? Well, I got involved because I didn't have. My life was all consumed with the hotel, which I absolutely love. Mm. And it probably was my husband, Rob, who encouraged me to join the committee, which had been going for about a year or more before I joined, to give me a hobby, nah. <laughs> to get me out of the hotel and give me something uh, because I literally lived and breathed it, but I loved it. I love it. I still love it. I don't uh, – that to me is my hobby. I'll okay, so so what's so special about it? What does it do? Well, you know, the networking side of it, meeting, you know, back in those days on the committee was Jill White, Sue Binns, Margie Gregg, obviously Lucy was, I think, around in those days, yep. I'm pretty sure, yeah. Um, 
which was just great girls, great, great girls. And it was just, you know, it was – I'd go to those meetings and you could just talk about stuff and they just knew exactly what you were talking about. Mm. I mean, I've got a lot of friends, women who work for themselves all in different um, industries, uh, none in hospitality – and still just not quite the same. They don't sort of understand the demands um, for, for everything. You have to be a jack of all trades. You yeah. have to be mentally strong, physically strong. Um, you have to be face confrontation and how you deal with that um, is, a, is an art in a lot of ways so that it, that it doesn't get you down, you know, that it doesn't, you know, finding ways to respond um, to people's demands in hospitality and providing the best service you want to provide and for always trying to think of how you can stay ahead of the game or um, smile on your face every day even though a bloke could say to you, are you feeling all right? You don't look very well. <laughs> and you're like, oh, great. You know, <laughs> I thought I looked okay. <laughs> so, you know, the, the girls on the committee, uh, those women, it was great to talk about... Um, we all were so, have the same, similar issues. Mm. We're all, you know, we talk about our husbands. <laughs> Not to make the conversation too boring, but we all, um, you know, quite unique. We're all husband and wife teams. You had a lot in common. Kids, you know, your children and mm. um, how you, they, um, you protect them in a lot of ways from what, you know, the sometimes, you know, stuff that goes on in the hotel that is not particularly pleasant. You don't want your children having anything to do with that. and yeah. Okay, so um, the next generation, the women in hotels, you, you, you're seeing much younger mm. um, um, yep. women, girls coming through. What, what purpose is women in hotels serving for them? Uh, well, I think the dynamics has changed pretty dramatically. Um, I'm sort of the old-fashioned style of in that the owner-operator. I think with the bigger groups, there's a lot of professional, um, you know, women coming through who studied hospitality. Back in my day, no one studied it. You just armed yourself with a massively good work ethic, sense of humour, mm. a can-do attitude. That got you through. Yep. Now, a lot of the girls make really great decisions to enter into it as a professional career and study. And I feel like I could learn so much from them. I think ah. definitely, yeah, I feel like I could learn a lot from them. And it's just um, – it's a different dynamic. Uh, there's a lot of great girls getting around, a lot of girls in high – you know, senior position. Back in the day, even myself, I wouldn't probably have considered a girl as a manager even though <laughs> – I was a female in the industry. Yes. I felt perhaps mm, too dangerous, too not, you know, I mean, a bit like the police force. Yes. I used to think we need the police occasionally, but I don't want to necessarily see a police woman. I want mm. two men. Mm. So um, even myself could be quite biased in that. Um, and now girls do a fabulous job. I mean, I, I was always a good negotiator in positions that required 
uh, I, I would step in rather than send my husband into a confrontation because I was a better negotiator. Yes. Mm. So now you're also one of several women on the Australian Hotels Council. Mm. Now I suspect that's less of a hobby than women in hotels. I mean, it gives you an interest outside. What What was the thinking? Why did you become involved? Um, well, I, I thought that was a um, fabulous opportunity it, just for me on a personal level. I mean, being out at Murray Bridge, often you get that sort of, you know, oh, I'm just, I'm out there, I'm removed from, you know, I'm not the big, I don't uh, do, a lot of, the, the men get, quite organised and have good lunches. There's a lot of, you know, back in the day, you know, when I was young, no one invited me to industry golf days unless I mm. pushed the facts. Like the bank manager would come to my brother right standing right next to me and say, oh, Jubby, it's, uh, we're going to have a game of golf on uh, Friday. We're asking a few publicans, well, what are you doing on Friday? I remember I'd look at him and said, um, hello, mm. what's, what are you doing for me? I can play golf too. Oh, you know, and he'd look at you as if to say, we don't want you coming along. You'll ruin it. But um, I thought, I think for council, um, look, it's just, it's, it's great to get um, an insight into some of the decision making that goes on. Um, I, I feel I get a lot out of it mm-hmm. um, for myself and I love taking that information back to my staff who feel also privileged that yes. they can hear things that's going on in the industry. It gives them a, uh, a feeling like they're very valued when you pass that information on to them and I trust my staff with a lot of information. Mm. So Yeah. Um, it, it also... You know, boards, um, you know, it's been shown time and time again that that diversity on boards, so having a, an, an all-male council isn't doing the best for the industry. It's important Correct. that you've, you've got mm. that, yeah. Yeah, that's true. And I'm, I'm, I'm a pipsqueak to a lot of the guys in there. They're, you know, there's big groups. There's, and I, I'm a sort of um, – I'm probably – very active in the business and can bring in sometimes just the smallest little thing that I might think is insignificant in a lot of ways, but it is significant. Uh, it can be significant to hear what's going on at the grassroots. Yes. And probably that's, for me, that's, I see it as a bit my role. Mm. Yeah. So in closing, you know, going back over four generations um, you know, it sounds to me a little bit like you've modelled yourself on your great-grandmother. Um, you've, you've, you've seen what's been achieved for women in hotels over that period. Wh- where do you see the future and uh, any final observations? Well, I suppose I think hospitality is here to stay. It's not going anywhere. I think... For women, it's just, it's a great industry to be in. It's very diverse in its hours. It can be something that you can get into young, old. It can be a supplement to a family income and you can, it's, it's, you can be flexible. 
as long as the government allows us to be flexible. (laughs) (laughs) But um, that's the beauty of it. And you can come, it's not like working in hospitality, I often sell it to potential staff as you can be here and be part of the action and part of the fun on weekends and nights or days, but it's not costing you a cent. Yes. And you're an (laughs) observer of everything that goes on. You don't have a hangover tomorrow and it's not costing you a cent. Wouldn't you rather do that in a lot of ways? You know, they all, hmm, that sounds all right. No hangovers. That does sound good, doesn't it? Karen, again, congratulations on being inducted into the Women in Hotels Hall of Fame. It's richly deserved and we appreciate you taking time out to share your stories with us today. Thank you, Tim.